Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. is going on everybody and this is episode number 314 of the talking chop podcast for adept listeners of the program i am not brad roland uh i am eric cole you've been recognizing me for my work over on talkingchop.com uh as the deputy site manager minor league editor and occasional co-host of this particular program uh as you again brad is not here this week uh, or at least for the next couple of days he is traveling and since I was out of town for the last week or so and I wasn't able to be on the, the podcast for the the brewer series I felt the need that it's probably fair to give Brad some time off here and there to be able to do his things like see his family and, you know, take care of things personally, as opposed to having to host shows every single day. Uh, so I'm back in town now. I'm really happy to be back on the show, ready to talk some Braves playoff baseball. For those who aren't aware, the Braves were victorious in their division round series over the Brewers, three games to one. Uh, I believe that that jived with both Scott and Brad's guesses. I, I did pick the Braves in five, so they were a little bit better than what I thought, but it worked out great for the Braves, which means that we have a great NLCS 2.0 preview show for you. Last year, we had a, 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 a preview against the Dodgers, which ultimately the Dodgers were, did prevail in seven games. Looks like hopefully we'll be able to do something a little bit different this year. And joining me to preview this National League Championship Series against the Los Angeles Dodgers is the host of the Daily Hammer, one Sean Coleman. Sean, how are you, man? Doing all right. So if this is show 314, um, Eric, and first off, it's a pleasure to be with you. How about this setup? Episode 316 would be after game two, recapping game two, an Austin Riley game, Austin Riley game winning home run. Episode 316, Austin Riley, Stone Cold 316. Are you going with my vibes here? I'm predicting that as being something that's going to happen two episodes from now. What do you think? I think that, first of all, that our battery power host and uh, talking chop contributor, Grant McCauley, is going to be thrilled at that guest, if for nothing, no other reason that he has leaned into the uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Austin Riley 316 uh, bit that's been going on on Twitter for some time now. Uh, and I love the, and I, I love the shot call. It would be, yeah. it'd be really fantastic. Uh, make sure you tag Sean in case that does happen. Cause that'd be hysterically funny. Uh, so for episode three sixteen, uh, I will make Brad make some wrestling references. I'm not sure if he actually watches wrestling at all, but if he, but what, one way or the other, if that does happen, rest assured that it's going to be at least 15 to 20 minutes on this podcast where Brad has to basically pretend to actually know what he's talking about with pro wrestlings. Um, so, uh, as we are talked about, this is going to be a preview show. Previewing the NLCS, obviously the Braves have moved on past the Brewers. They are now going against a very formidable opponent in the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
on paper, this looks like a really tough series. Uh, the Braves are not favored in this series as of this moment. But kind of before we get into our predictions, before we get into those projections, we want to talk a little bit about how these teams match up, what the Dodgers are looking like currently, what, we look, what we're thinking about with the Braves roster going into this series, any notable things. There's only been one real piece of news today. Uh, as we're recording, this is 2 p.m. on Friday, so we don't have a roster yet, and we don't even have really any pitching announcements, uh, at least in terms of what the plan is. Well, we know for sure that Max Fried's going to be starting game one. We know that for sure. And we know that some combination of either Charlie Mo- and, and Charlie Morton and Ian Anderson are going to be starting games two and three. There seems to be a bit of debate as to whether who goes where there. Um, Brad has been on record pretty heavily that he wants Morton on full rest for game two and then going Ian Anderson in game three. But Sean, for you here, and again, we'll kind of just talk a little bit of this pitching plan now because that's kind of the big news of the day that we have to go on here. Max game one makes a ton of sense in terms of how it lines up with rest and all that good stuff. Beyond that, do you have any particularly strong feelings about how these starters should line up for the games, the Braves, at least for these first three games? Yes, and, and I had mentioned it on the hammer uh, for, for earlier on a Friday show. Uh, my sole hope is that, listen, we know going into this series, the Dodgers are the more talented team, especially when it comes to starting pitching. We just went through that on paper with the Milwaukee Brewers. So how do the Braves make up for that? I feel the way to do it is to be aggressive. And my goal comes down to simple mathematics. You start Freed game one, start Morton game two, you start Anderson game three. The things that happen for that, how things align, is that in the first six games, you have four of those six games where you have Morton and Freed as your starting pitcher. And you only have one of those games where you don't have a trustworthy starter out there. Ian Anderson, I know that lines him up for game three, but last year he showed on the road away from Truist Park against these Dodgers. He could do just fine. I believe that he did start game seven last year in the series and did very well, or game six or seven. But regardless, I think that you trust Ian Anderson and what he's done in the playoffs so far in his young career. But my main goal is is that you can line up Freed and Morton to start one and two, and then on regular rest, start five and six as well. If the series extends that far, that would be the tipping point for me to go Freed, Morton, then Anderson in order of starters. Yeah, the the trick here is ideally is that you want your best starters starting the most games. That's just it's just that's just how the math works out. You want Freed and Morton getting the most starts in this series and what is going to be against a very, very good Dodgers lineup. Now, the question becomes is that that extra, those extra innings that Morton threw in the Brewers series, how he is in terms of like his age and where he's at fatigue wise, does he need that extra day? Does he need to go in game three versus Ian in game versus Ian in game two? It's a tough call for me. I, I tend to agree with you and Brad. I think that assuming that Morton feels good and looks good, you should try your absolute best to start him in game two. If they're already floating the idea that Ian could start game two. It does make one wonder if there is a little bit of fatigue there, but they think that they would be a good idea and to give Morton some extra rest that they think that they would be a better chance. Ultimately it comes down to just maximizing your chances. And if they feel like that extra day of rest gives them a better chance in the series, then I understand the compulsion, but in terms of just in a vacuum, based on the information we know, you should have Freed and Morton one, two, then go with Ian. After that, it gets a little dicey. Because in game four, do you do a bullpen game? Because three days of rest for Max Freed, he's not a guy that we've seen that has excelled in three days rest or or on short rest even. He's a guy that we've actually, the Braves have been trying to build an extra rest for at times. And this playoff run is going to really kind of put that to the test. 
because you can't really do that unless you like sweep the Dodgers or anything like that, or go through a sweep and then you can kind of build in some extra days off between the series. But it ends up having to be a bullpen game. And if so, like, you know, what do you think, what do you want that bullpen game to look like in game four after what, setting up those five games, five, six, and seven for this team? Yeah. And the other thing that I'll say is, is that this is going to be a recurring theme for me in this preview, Eric, is that last year we got a bit of a hint. This team has been here before in a playoff setup in three series against the Reds and the Marlins and these Dodgers that went a full game seven. I think the fact that last year's NLCS went seven games and there was no days of rest. That may be a reference point for this team to know what to do in this situation, how to structure a bullpen game, how to be able to handle their starters that we saw. Snicker make some, you know, kind of questionable decisions with Morton in the NLDS against Milwaukee. But you've been in this situation before. You know how to handle these type of situations. You handled it pretty effectively last year, and now you have rest games. So a lot of the things that you mentioned, we've been there before. You've had that reference point. Do it once again, because what worked in the past, maybe you make adjustments, but you can do it again with confidence this time around. And the other thing that I think stands out as well, how does game one go? If you win game one, maybe a little bit more goes towards starting Anderson in game two. But if you lose game one, I think you just got to go with your best hand, and that would be Morton in game two. Your point on how the series goes is an important one, right? Because a bullpen game in game four is a lot more palatable if you're up two games to one, then if you're facing elimination, right? Having a team, having it start a game where like AJ Minter's starting a game that you're like when you're facing elimination. I mean, he was great in the playoffs last year, particularly starting that game, and he was really good in that situation. Um, the bullpen has, you know, a little bit of bending against the, the Brewers, but did not break and were able to hold what was a pretty a below average, I think is a fair to say, playoff uh, lineup in check. But against the Dodgers, you know, if you're if you're down if you're down two games to one, or if you're you know about to get swept, maybe you it changes your thought process on kind of what a bullpen game looks like. But if you, again, if you're winning, if you're up a game, or even if like you're up three games to none, throwing a bullpen game makes all the sense in the world because it gives you the best chance later on in the series. I don't think the Braves are going to commit to a plan here. I think that they're just going to have to play by ear, especially with like how many innings does Max Fried throw if he gets bounced early in game one then maybe, you know, you're able to let him throw a few innings in game four. Or, you know, same thing with other guys, you know, bringing those, bull, those starters in on shorter rest, but maybe only throwing them for an inning or two here and there. When Once you're in October, all bets are off. But it all comes down to how this series plays out. I don't think that, you know, saying like, we're strictly going to go with a bullpen game on game four. And, and like, these are the bullpen arms that we're going to kind of lean on. We're going to lean on Enoa. We're going to lean on this guy or that guy to kind of get us through these innings. I don't think that it serves the team particularly well, uh, especially with a Dodgers rotation that is kind of in a similar situation in a lot of respects, right? Because they have Scherzer, Bueller, and Urias is like kind of their big three. But after that, they've been kind of having to go to these bullpen games too. Just in game five against the Dodgers, I mean, against the Giants rather, that, you know, both Julio Urias and Max Scherzer threw in that game and neither of those pitchers started in that game. So I think that you just kind of, when you're you're looking down the barrel, we could see a lot of different things happening in game four. I expect... I expect what the Braves are going to do is announce Freed, Morton, and Anderson. I think that there may be a little bit of wiggle room there in terms of like, you know, if they like the Braves win big or if something happens and they feel like they, they, and maybe Morton doesn't, you know, feels like, you know, the day, night before he needs some extra rest, they can flip those two guys and that would make a ton of sense in the world. But I think that for right now, the reason, one of the reasons we're not hearing a lot about their plans is that the Braves are willing to be very fluid in terms of what their plans are for, for starting in these first few games anyway. 
Uh, the other kind of important roster stuff here for the Braves is the uh, question regarding Jorge Soler, because uh, for those who aren't aware, right before the, uh, the, the Braves clinched over the Brewers, before that game, it was announced that Soler had tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, obviously, that was a, a big blow for a team that really needs Jorge Soler to be healthy. He's weirdly enough, has turned into a leadoff extraordinaire for the Braves, which is not a phrase that I thought I'd be uttering in 2021. And, he's been an important part both in terms of power production and just getting on base and kind of keeping this offense moving. And it sounds like now that the Braves are at least planning on not having him. It's not a given that he won't be, you know, there's, there's health, there's protocols in place. There's, you know, there's going to be some testing involved with whether when he can come back, um, how sick he is. We don't really know where it's not, we haven't gotten a lot of updates on that. And, you know, the, the, so the conjecture was, you know, like, do you plan on, you know, Jorge Sorlaer coming back, and if so, like what role does he play and kind of what do these lineups look against lefties and righties? But let's just assume a world right now that Jorge Soler is not going to be playing in the National Championship Series, which seems very likely. Uh, Dave O'Brien floated earlier this week that, you know, he could be out as long as 10 days, which means that he's basically out for the, the Championship Series altogether. Um, he has to be out for at least a certain amount of time because he, was, he, could, because he tested positive before he can even become eligible to rejoin the roster. And we'll know later is kind of like, you know, is he added to the championship roster? If they do, they feel like he'll be able to be added later on in the series uh, and be able to play. But my question to you is, let's assume, again, that Soler is not in the outfield right now for the series, the entire series. What are your ideal outfield configurations against lefties and righties? Do you go with kind of the same three guys regardless, or do you kind of mix and match, try to play platoons? What, what, what guys do you want to see out there with regularity? I'm just going to be honest with you, Eric, I know that there's a lot of strategy and you certainly with this, you know, much reliance as the Braves have on analytics at the end of the day, when you're the underdog, again, the key word for me is aggressive. I'd play your best talents. I would put Peterson out there and ride. I'd put um, Adam Duvall in center and I would put Eddie Rosario in left, even against left-handers, because I do feel that these players are going to be your best bets, even if platoon suggest they may be at a disadvantage because I do think that a big key for this for the Braves to win this series is going to be complete production up and down the lineup and you saw a great example of it it was against the Brewers bullpen they didn't have much success to start the game in game four against the Brewers but with Swanson leading off and I believe if I remember correctly it was Peterson sixth and then it where it was Duvall fifth Peterson sixth um Darno seventh and then Rosario eighth I believe I got the right may have been Heredia anywho I would go with that as the bottom of my order it's Swanson Freeman Alves Austin Riley Duvall Peterson, Darno, and Rosario. You get some balance there, regardless of who's in and who's out for the Dodgers. I think that's your best option against right-handers. And even if you do face a left-hander like Urias for an extended period of time, I think at the end of the day, you're putting your best talents out there. So Peterson, Duvall, as well as um, Rosario should certainly be your starting outfield. And I would stick with Swanson, who's gotten a lot better over the past few weeks at creating scoring opportunities putting his bat at the top of the order, you know, you can only go with what you have right now. And Solaire's discipline at the plate is certainly going to be missed at the top of the order, but I would mimic what you did that showed your best offensive success so far this postseason in game four. I'd ride that and then make adjustments as you need to, especially, but go with Rosario, Peterson, and Duvall as your outfield configuration. I tend to agree. I think that the problem against this Dodgers team is that I don't think that, 
an offense that is going to rely on any amount of that bats from Guillermo Heredia or even Christian Pache is one that's going to work out particularly well against them. I think that you need to have real impact bats in your lineup that like guys who can change the game with one swing that makes them make hard decisions with their bullpen. Because again, this is a good Dodgers bullpen too. You don't want to give them places to look for outs. You just don't. And in the case of, you know, like an Adam Duvall, who's, you know, maybe not the, an ideal choice against the righty or Eddie Rosario, who's not an ideal choice against the lefty. I think that those guys still are productive enough, you know, that the, you, you probably need to have them in. That's your best configuration. If you have Solaire, I think that you can maybe get a little bit cuter in terms of like playing platoons and things like that. But the talent drop off after those three guys is significant enough that I don't think that you want to get too cute, I guess. Uh, and, you know, again, with, in Jock's case, he's a guy that, you know, against lefties or in some situations, having that guy being able to come off the, the bench against a righty reliever, that obviously worked out very well for the Braves against the Brewers. But I don't know if that's even, I don't know if that's an option for them in this series. I think that they have to, you know, at the end of the day, they know that Jock is a guy who knows at least a good chunk of these Dodger pitchers well. I, that even though the Dodgers may know him well, he's the guy that's going to have the best chance for something impactful to happen because you can't just, you know, you can't rely on just stringing together a bunch of singles and, you know, these kind of the big giant innings against the Dodgers. I think you have to maximize all your opportunities, every single at bat. And the way to do that is to kind of run those, those three bats out there, at least until Solaire is able to be come back into the fold. Uh, you know, Dansby is certainly an interesting case at, at, uh, at leadoff. I think that there's some cases to be made as kind of, you know, going with like just move, shifting everyone up and maybe even doing something funky like you know having like freddie freeman lead off or something like that because that gives him the most at bats there's certainly some math that suggests that but i don't think that brian snicker is ever going to do that and more importantly i don't think that having dansby at lead off is going to hurt anything necessarily it's not as it's not as good as what solaire has been he's not and dansby's not going to be a guy that's going to be drawing a bunch of walks like solaire has been but Overall, I think that that's the correct play. I think that's what the Braves will do is they'll have him leading off until Solaire's back in the fold. Uh, and then they'll stick with guys like you sort of stick with Heredia and Pache as kind of off the bench, defensive replacement, pinch hitting type roles. Um, one, one last note kind of on a, a Braves roster side, at least on the offensive side anyway, would you run out Travis Darno every single game at a catcher? I would at the, at the, the reason why I just don't see you having any real reason that you can make a case for not doing that. And, and I get that, you know, William Contreras, if you want to include Shea on the roster as well. You know, one of the things that I had mentioned um, yesterday that I thought something that made sense is that I think it kind of is redundant. If you've got now, Christian Pache on the roster instead of Jorge Soler, instead of having Terrence score, maybe you bring on Shea as being your third catcher, because I also think it boosts your bench bat options as well. But of course, I don't think you're going to start Shea, his first ever career start in the majors as being um, a catcher. So I would start Darno. I mean, if you have the ability, if it's a blowout in some way, shape or form early in the series, maybe you pull him 
put in William Contreras, but especially with these rest days in there versus last year, I just, I would play your best hand. I would go with Travis Darno. but if we're talking about the roster, I do want to advocate the idea of Shea being on the NLCS roster. I believe he still can be. I do think there's benefit of having him on there, especially if you're not going to have now a Jock Peterson or an Eddie Rosario as a bench bat with Jorge Soler out. Shea, Shea Longoliers could be one of your better options off the bench potentially as a pinch hitter. So if there's one roster move I would make, I would possibly put Shea in place of Gore, but I do think you just simply go with Darno as much as possible and just ride him as much as you can because it's your best bet. I understand the compulsion to want to do that because at the end of the day, Terrence Gore is simply a pinch runner and he is the guy that, you know, you, you run out there to try to manufacture runs out of nowhere. He has a history of being very good at that, even in the playoffs. Uh, I would not add shade to the, this playoff roster. And for one, the, the, the number of hoops that they'd have to go through to actually make that happen uh, gets a little dicey for me in, in terms of like what decisions have to be made in terms of putting guys on injured lists and whether or not that means that they're available for possible future series or future games. And moreover, I don't think that Shea is ready. I don't think that even like the current iteration of Shea Langoliers would be a, as much of a benefit to the bench as I think that you may be thinking. Um, I, I, and again, this is coming from someone who likes Shea Langoliers quite a bit. I think that ultimately the Braves just going to have to kind of accept the fact that their bench situation isn't quite as good. Uh, it's obviously not as good now that Solaire is down, right? But I think that if you have Heredia and you have Christian Pache on your bench, uh, you also have William Contreras on your bench that you can use. The, the, it seems like that Snicker is very reticent to try to use whoever the second catcher is at all um, in a pinching situation just in case something happens. The, the question, the issue I have here is that I do think that they need to at least let Contreras start one, like maybe game three or something like that, solely because Darno has a – didn't play a whole lot of games this year, which is a double-edged sword is that one, he doesn't have the same level of fatigue that he had on at the end of last year, where he was really good in that Marlins series, basically single-handedly beat the Miami Marlins uh, in that, in that divisional round. Right. But against the Dodgers, he was a guy that looked very, very tired. And on the one hand, he hasn't played as much. So maybe he doesn't have that same level of fatigue, but at the same time, he also hasn't had the, the way to the, the time to build up that conditioning either. And I think it's important enough to have him playing the, the vast majority of these games going forward that you either have to start him in start Contreras in game three, because I think there's a decent chance the series goes six or seven games and kind of making sure that he's well-rested and can be productive later in the series is important. But I also think that William Contreras is giving the Dodgers a different look. And I don't think that Travis Darno has been so good offensively to make him irreplaceable in a lot of respects. I, I personally would start Contreras probably in game three. That's kind of what I would do just to kind of break things up, give the Dodgers a different look, give Darno a bit of time away from the plate so that way he can kind of recharge a little bit and kind of be as fresh as humanly possible for the games later in the series. But I think it's close. And I think at the end of the day, if the Braves just decide, look, you know, the drop-off between Darno and Contreras is so significant that they feel like they would be giving up too much of a chance. And that ultimately comes down to information that we just don't have right now. But I think that Contreras is productive enough at the, at the plate. And I think that he has made a lot of strides and kind of just getting better at being working behind the plate that I would not be upset in either direction. Um, but I do think that there is a genuine risk that towards the end of the series, if this one goes long, that starting Darno at this stage of his career, every single playoff game could end up backfiring. We'll see. I don't know for sure. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to see how the Braves choose to manage that going forward. And again, some of this does, and again, what you alluded to, it does matter 
how the rest of the series goes. Like if the Braves or the Dodgers are getting blown out by eight runs and in the fourth inning, you know, Snip pulls Darno and lets Contreras finish out a game. This looks, this is a completely different discussion, right? Like it just all, all of a sudden it doesn't matter. They put, they just get, they give whichever guy some rest. And then all of a sudden it doesn't really matter kind of that overall, that narrative of, you know, giving a guy, giving Darno some rest. Um, other just roster notes before we go to a break uh, for you. Are you in the camp of the Braves need to stick with 12 pitchers or the, do they need to go to 13 with kind of their limited bench options? I, I would probably stick with what you have there. I mean, if I, I personally would try to find a way to put Rich Rodriguez on this NLCS roster. If you could, if you wanted to add another pitcher, I do get, and it is a valid, valid reason his low strikeout rate. I mean, it's unbelievable how low of a strikeout rate he has, you know, especially when you put him up against players like Jesse Chavez and others, he still is significantly below, but I still think he's a veteran that knows how to get outs. You know, that may be a flawed way of looking at things. I I just think that that could be something that comes into play as kind of having a secondary option in middle relief, but it's not that big of a deal. I like the balance that was there, Eric, when it came to the pitching options that you were there. You didn't use all of them. You heavily relied on Matzik, Jackson, and um, uh, Will Smith, I think, featuring A.J. Mentor could make sense in this series, but I would probably stick with what you had. If you don't have that great of a bench, it may make sense to have as many options as possible for some type of, of platoon matchups or some type of specific matchups you like. So I like the balance that was there between pitchers and hitters in the last series. I'd stick with that, even if you maybe change a name or two. Yeah, so it's an interesting choice, right? Like it's because your bench is thinner, then you start wondering, you know, do you maybe add an extra pitcher to kind of give you some options uh, on the other side of the ball in terms of carrying an extra guy? Maybe you just don't carry Terrence Gore as an example and bring another reliever in. Uh, and if you're to do that, then I think that going with what relievers you had and then maybe adding a guy like Spencer Strider to your roster, uh, if you're willing to kind of make the, again, go through the hoops necessary to make that happen. Uh, as kind of a power arm from the right side. The Braves ultimately made their choice, though, between Strider and Dylan Lee, and they they added Dylan Lee to the postseason roster. My current leaning is that they stick with Dylan Lee as kind of that that those la- one of those last reliever spots. The, the, the Rich Rod question is a, a scary one, right? Because I think that for Rich Rod, he's a guy that relies on getting fly ball outs to be effective. And that sort of profile, considering all the other peripherals that we've seen and kind of how rough he's looked towards the end of the season here, scares me a lot against the Dodgers, particularly. I, I agree. I would so, agree. That, that, yeah, yeah. So, like, it's not as, like, I, if you were going to run Richard Rodriguez, if you weren't going to run Richard Rodriguez against the Brewers, I don't know why, you, in God's name, you would think that running him against the Dodgers is a better idea. Um, I, and I think that, and we don't know this for sure, but there seems to be something going on with Chris Martin in terms of, you know, if it is it a health thing or is there, you know, something else going on? Was the lack of sticky stuff just like, did that completely derail him? Um, I think that the choice ultimately is just whether or not you basically add Spencer Strider to the bullpen or not. I don't there's not like a bench bat that like jumps out at me as like, you know, like an extra, this extra bench bat is going to make that decision. I do think that if you're going to be entertaining the idea of a bullpen game and, you know, kind of factoring the fact that you might need to go to your bullpen early and be very aggressive in kind of managing how these starting pitchers get, are, are handled in this series, that having the extra pitcher is mildly entertaining to me. Uh, and especially when it comes down to, you know, like 
have just having more options and different looks for this this Dodgers lineup that is particularly formidable. But because you're making all those pitching changes too, you're that means you're probably gonna have to have some more willingness to kind of lend some guys hitting for some of these relievers kind of as the course of these games go. So, you know, there's, there's arguments on both sides for this. Uh, you know, this, the smiley, you know, discussion is certainly an interesting one. Um, I am curious to kind of say, I, I think that, you is going to be the guy that they end up going with, but I, I'm very curious to kind of see what this roster is going to look like. I don't think that we're going to see any big changes because I think the Braves knew that the, how important winning that first round is. And I think that they went with their best look in that, in that moment and I think that that means they feel like that Dylan Lee is the best, the best option here. And that this, the way their roster was configured for the division series was going to be the one that gave them the best opportunity with Solero. Obviously they had Christian Pache. So that changes the look of your bench a little bit, but I don't necessarily think that means that changes kind of the overall configuration of the roster. I personally would be surprised if they like went like really off the reservation and made a bunch of changes uh, and, you know, like petition the league and put, you know, put some guys on the injured list. Unless again, there's information that we simply don't know about. Before we get into kind of what's going on with the Dodgers and how these teams are going to match up in regards to the, you know, the lineups, the starting pitching and the bullpen, we're going to take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Sean, it is time to talk about what is a very, very daunting task for this Braves team in the National League Championship Series, and that is the wild card winning Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, of note, the Braves, in a kind of a weird rules fluke, will have home field advantage over the Dodgers simply because they won their division, not because they won more games than the Dodgers. In fact, it is quite the opposite. The Dodgers won nearly 20 more games than the Braves in the, in the regular season, but because the Dodgers had to kind of win the one game playoff against the Cardinals to get in, the wild card will always be seated lower than division winners. And so the Braves will have home field advantage. Does that matter in this particular series? I'm not so certain it does, but it's certainly kind of an interesting wrinkle. So let's talk about first this Dodgers lineup and kind of how it compares to the Braves. Obviously with the Braves, you know, the top of the lineup is, you know, has performed very, very well uh, with, you know, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies, uh, now Dansby Swanson, the Jorge Soler's performed well. But this Dodgers lineup is legitimately scary in that, like I was looking it up earlier and they have a, a team WRC plus of 106, which is already kind of nuts and they've accumulated 29.5 Fangraphs war for the 2021 season. And that includes having eight players, eight, that were worth three war or more this season. And Max Muncy, who will not be playing in this series, Will Smith, Justin Turner, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Chris Taylor, A.J. Pollock, and Trey Turner, who I have very rarely seen record it out against the Braves. So my question to you is, what is kind of your initial impressions of this Dodgers lineup and kind of what are the things that you're looking for as kind of the key points of like what is going to matter the most regarding how this Dodgers offense matches up with the Braves? 
Um, so as a comic book fan, can we give our pitchers the infinity gauntlet when they're pitching? Can that work out? That, yeah, that, that, may- that, 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 that might help. Yeah, that might help. Yeah. <laughs> that, that may be the, the, what it comes down to. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it, it just, this is why the Dodgers are so good. It's not just that they have top 10, 15 offensive talents. It's that, that they have a full lineup of players that either now or will be top 100 offensive talents in the majors. And it's so, so deep. And we'll talk about it in a bit, but you know, it's the fact that it hasn't been the Dodgers top of the order. That's made the key difference for them in the most clutch moments in this postseason. It's been the bottom of the order. They won the wild card game with Chris Taylor hitting a game winning home run out of the eighth spot last night. It was the sixth and the seventh hitters that, created and converted the scoring opportunity that won the game. Sure, you get down to Cody Bellinger and Chris Taylor. You feel more confident in your ability to get around them. But as we saw last year, Eric, Cody Bellinger can come alive at any moment. And now you're looking at, I go back to last year. I go back to the past, talking about this Dodgers lineup, specifically against the Braves. It was Mookie Betts in the field that made the difference for the Dodgers and then coming back and winning that series. It was Corey Seager on offense who helped them out doing the same thing. And now that's your one and two hitters and you've got the most notorious bat against the Braves over the past half decade and Trey Turner following up. It's, it's, it's a murderer's row. You know, Justin Turner is going to be his usual effective self. You're just going to have to pick your poison and hope that your own lineup does well. I don't know of a particular strategy. You know, I, they were, I believe the Dodgers were sixth against right-handed pitching this year. The Braves were fifth. So you're just going to have to hope that the Braves pitchers can make their pitches. The Dodgers are going to get their threats. They're going to be able to create their opportunities. You have to hope like this bullpen and the starting rotation did more often than not against the Brewers that our pitchers make their pitches with runners on to be able to limit the damage as much as possible. Yeah, I I, I just keep looking at this Dodgers team. I mean, they were number one in run differential this year with plus 269 runs this year. They scored 830 runs, also first in Major League Baseball. Number one in walks, and we saw that play a big part in the series last year where it just felt like every inning was 25, 30 pitches against these guys. Even when the Braves were pitching well, they were just working these long at-bats. They hit home runs. They get on base. This is going to be a very, very tall order. Now, one positive thing, one of their best players on offense this year, Max Muncy, it would take – it sounds like it would take a miracle for him to – be able to play in this series uh he has an injury to his elbow uh doesn't look like he's any tommy john surgery obviously and there's they're not ruling out the possibility that he could play in this game in this series and we'll definitely know for certain if that's a possibility if he gets added to their roster but it sounds like one of the better players will be out but i mean like i'm just looking at this list of players and like it's a list of players that like have broken the braves hearts on multiple teams at multiple times over the course of the last five years you know, like, where do you go in this lineup to look for an out? You know, you would look at a guy like an A.J. Pollock, who was not the greatest hitter last year, has, you know, since his time in the Diamondbacks, he's been kind of iffy, but he's had a really good season this year. Chris Taylor just continually comes up with big moments. This is a team that has big-time bats, and they can play – they can run up a lineup against against righties where it's a heavy lefties, and they can create nightmares for you on that side – I think that the one thing the Braves do have going for them is that if they're the Dodgers do have a weakness 
later in games is said that they've had more trouble against lefty relievers than against righty ones. But even like, and again, the Braves have some good lefty relievers, right? Like there's the, that is a place where the, the Braves can go, okay, we have a couple lefties coming up. We have some guys, we have some guys that they can, they can, we can run out there and try to get some outs, but the Dodgers, like against the Dodgers, this is like the better version, like against righties, they've been better. Lefty relievers still have a 450 ERA and a 486 fifth against the Dodgers. Like, that's not like good news. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that ultimately what this comes down to, I, it, it, I'm not, the Dodgers are going to score runs. I think it's going to be very hard for this Braves team to score three or maybe even four runs and win consistently against this Dodgers lineup. The, the, the Giants had, a, had one of the best pitching staffs in baseball this year. And the Dodgers were still able to stitch together runs. And I look at this, this Dodgers lineup that has a history of success against the Braves in a variety of different situations. You have to accept the fact that the pitching staff is going to bend against these guys. They're just too good. You know, like five of these guys, five of those eight guys I could mention could have bad series and the Braves could still get swept. That would not be a strange thing to happen. I could see Will Smith just terrorizing the, the Braves over a course of four games. I could see Corey Seager do it because we saw him do it last year. I could see Trey Turner just be Trey Turner and be a nightmare. He was one of the reasons why the Braves had trouble against the Nationals over the last couple of years. It's because they just couldn't get him out. He hits for power. He does everything against the Braves. It would not be weird if like Justin Turner and AJ Pollock and Mookie Betts did nothing and the Dodgers were still scoring six runs a game. It would not be strange. What has to happen is that the pitching staff has to bend, but not break. And the Braves offense is going to have to figure out how to get something done against the Dodgers pitching staff. Because I think, I, I think that much about, of this Dodgers offense, I mean, Mookie Betts had 23 home runs and 29 doubles, and he only played in 122 games this year. He was hurt. And he's not the best player on their team right now. And that's Trey, because that's Trey Turner. He's the guy that's like in the MVP discussion now. This is going to be very tough. This is going to be a very, very tough lineup. I mean, I, I like what the, Bra- the Braves have at the top of the lineup, but when, like what you mentioned at the bottom of that lineup, it's going to come down to the Eddie Rosarios. It's going to come down to Travis Darno's. It's going to come down to those guys being productive, not like going 0 for 3 with a walk. Like there's going to have to get things done against this pitching staff, lengthen some of these innings for these Dodgers pitchers so that we can't have Walker Bueller going six or seven innings and striking out nine or 10 guys. You have to get those guys out. You have to kind of get to some of the, the, the less reliable versions of the parts of their bullpen. You can't just give the, the starter six or seven innings and then let Blake Trinan and Kenley Jansen just close the game out because this could be a very short series for the Braves if they do so, if that's what happens. That's just, that's just how it is. So speaking of the Dodgers starting rotation, uh, the top three is legitimately scary. Uh, it is somewhat fortunate that the Braves have, were able to dodge um, – Trevor Bauer, who's currently on administrative relief as he's undergoing kind of his legal situation. And Clayton Kershaw is a guy who's out for the postseason. He's dealing with injuries. You know, father time catches up with everyone, including arguably the best pitcher of his generation in Clayton Kershaw. But the Braves still have to deal with Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller, and Julio Urias. All three have been great. They've been legitimately great. Max Scherzer is, you know, continues to like, every time we think that, you know, there's like a, a lull of five starts, we're like, okay, it's finally happened. You know, he's finally starting to decline. And then he joined the Dodgers and like was his, the best version of himself 
for, for the Dodgers. Walker Buehler has been great for, since he basically joined the Dodgers. And Julio Urias overcame a bunch of injuries and you know gave the Braves fits last year in the playoffs. He's been very, very good for the Dodgers, both this postseason and this season altogether. One thing that the Giants did help, though, is that they have all thrown recently, including both Urias and Scherzer had to throw in game five against the Giants. So maybe they won't be able to set things up exactly the way they want to. Maybe those guys have thrown a little bit more than they would hope. But, Sean, for you, like, is this the probably the most likely place where the Braves could at least gain some ground here just simply because, you know, there might be a little bit fatigued and they're not quite as deep as they were on the offensive side? Or is this kind of just another case of, you know, we just have to kind of hope that the Braves defy the odds? I think it does come down to defi- to defying the odds. But, you know, you use one – you know, you use an F word when it comes to fatigue. I think another one that comes into play in this setup is familiarity. And that's something that I think could benefit the Braves this year. Listen, Walker Bueller, Max Serger, Julio Urias, one of Urias, one of the best trios of starting pitchers in the majors, without a doubt. But this Braves team has had success against them. They've held their own over the past half decade against Max Scherzer. Yeah, he's probably gotten their numbers more often than not. But the Braves also have had multiple wins against him, multiple good performances against him. I know it's not been on this stage, but they've seen him enough to figure out how to get some runs, I feel, especially with the talent in this lineup. Walker Buehler, obviously, we remember Game 3, 2018, the big Acuna home run. We beat him then last year, or excuse me, yeah, 2018. Last year, game one, Max Reed beat Walker Buehler in game one. Those type of experiences, I feel you can only put so much value on that, but these, the, a lot of these guys have seen Buehler and Scherzer before multiple times, and in, the term, in, in terms of Buehler on this stage. So, yes, you're going to be down when it comes to natural talent, but you're going to, again, have reference points to rely on. And you know that what you've done in the past, you know the approach that you've had in the past has at least put you in a position to win and you've won. So while it's not necessarily anything you could really do strategy or scheme-wise that's really going to give you a great advantage, I think familiarity certainly is going to at least benefit the Braves a bit. But the other thing that stands out to me, Eric, is that we saw how big of a role Jock Peterson was, or how he played in that series against the Brewers, the name that stands out to me is Adam Duvall, especially with Jorge Soler being out. We're going to need someone unexpected to step up to have an absolutely wonderful series. Duvall didn't get to do that last year injured. We know when he gets on one of his hot streaks, it is absolute lights out for any opposing pitching staff we need for him to step up and have a two or three game stretch where he is just absolutely killing the ball. I think it's going to take the ball or someone like that other than Freeman and Riley to step up and have one of those insane hot streaks for the Braves offense to truly have a chance in this series. I tend to agree. Uh, the name that I kind of circle and we actually talked about him already was, is Travis Darno is the guy that was really important to the Braves offense last year was really important in the, the, the Braves playoff series against the Marlins it would be great if he found a way to kind of, he has not, not looked particularly good offensively this year. I think that that's fair to say. And to kind of, at least for him to find a way to kind of turn back into that 2020 version of himself and be a guy kind of at the bottom of the lineup that can let that lineup turn over a little more easily and kind of get into kind of those big names that we're going to be seeing at the top with some runners on base. He's a guy that I would love to see pro- uh, producing 
against this Dodgers, this this very formidable Dodgers pitching staff. It's funny because um, David Adler, who uh, writes for MLB.com, uh, I've talked to him a good bit, and he I, and I truly think he's one of the better writers, particularly on the analytical side. But he put posted an article a few days ago that basically made the argument that the Braves actually should prefer to go against the Dodgers in the NLCS. And go ahead and cover your ears now, list the kid, your kids' ears now, listeners, uh, because. I thought that he was batshit crazy when I first when I first read like read the premise of his article, but it's really really interesting that how well like especially versus like what the the Giants starters have done against the Braves this year, the Braves are slugging four twenty one against Scherzer, Bueller, and Urias this year. They've hit eight homers off. I think that this is a place I it's it's impossible to bet that against guys like you know Scherzer and Bueller and Rice because we're talking about some of the better pitchers in the league but it seems like the Braves have an approach against them that will allow at least allow them to be productive I don't think that the Braves are just going to get shut out and blown out every single game right I think that they can and will be productive against these starters how long they can do that in terms of like you know if Scherzer is giving up three runs but it goes seven innings you know I think this is going to be tough but if they can also run up these pitch counts and maybe get some of these guys out of games early too, then the Braves have a real chance in this one. But I was surprised to see the level of production that the Braves have had against some of these, these, these top starters. And if again, if they can just like really figure out something, and if one of these guys is just off, and we've seen them be off before. I mean, Bueller, uh, you know, the, the game where Acuna hit the grand slam is kind of a famous one where Bueller couldn't find the strike zone, and all of a sudden, you know, the Braves, you know, arguably one of the better moments in Braves playoff, recent, anyway, recent playoff history for the Braves was that home run from Acuna after what was probably one of the worst strike calls you'll ever see uh, in a playoff game on the pitch before. I am very curious to kind of see what this team does in terms of being able to run these guys out early because I think that Trinan and Jensen are very, very good relievers. I think the Braves have a chance that they can kind of get to some of those other guys to at least keep the, keep a lot of these games really close and kind of be productive later in games. We'll see if that actually holds, because ultimately, again, the, a really really good really good starting pitching staff. They're number one in the league in leagues in runs allowed this year, 561 runs allowed as a, as a as a pitching staff. 3.01 ERA this year. They're number one in hits allowed. They're number two in strikeouts. They're number three in walks, so they don't walk a lot of guys either. Not going to be easy. They're, they're, they're not going to be easy. And if you saw what they did against the Giants in this past series, the, the Giants weren't scoring against them. Now, I don't think personally think very much of that Giants offense. I think that any offense that is relying on the ghost of Buster Posey to kind of really, you know, and then, you know, obviously adding Chris Bryant to the trade deadline was a big deal for them. But I don't think that – I think the Braves' offense is better than what the Giants was, but the Giants didn't do – much of anything against the Stouters pitching staff. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I think that I like the Braves have some, I think they have some opportunities. They're going to have to take advantage of them though. And I think it's going to take like big hits. I don't think that they are going to be able to like stitch together, you know, eight, you know, eight hit innings where they just like all of a sudden score front four, four runs on small ball. I think that there's going to be some home runs that they're going to have to hit some home runs. They're going to have to make hard contact and we'll see if that happens. They've had some success there and we'll see if that's going to be enough to compete with the Dodgers offense, but this is going to be tough. Really, really tough. Um, and then we'll try to touch on the Dodgers bullpen a bit here. We've already talked about a little bit about it. Um, another really, really good part of this Dodgers roster. It's kind of the theme of this podcast is that this Dodgers team is really, 
really good, and it's hard to find very obvious weaknesses in it. I mean, even amongst the, the relievers, this is a top five unit in baseball. Number two in bullpen ERA, number two in number two in ground ball rate. They're gonna they, they'll, they can get double plays. They strike out a bunch of guys. Blake Trinan and Kenley Jensen were have obviously been the highlights of this of this team. If you saw Blake the other night against the Giants, I'm not sure how that guy gave up any runs this year. If that's what his stuff was looking like, Where, where's your where's your biggest concerns going against this Dodgers bullpen? And do you think that there are some opportunities for the Braves in terms of what they're going to do with the bullpens, especially in regards to what what the Braves are going to have to rely on out of their bullpen? I mean, to me, it's guessing right. I mean, that that that's what it comes down to. I I don't I don't really think. I mean, the one thing that you know that you're going to get, especially with the Dodgers right-handers, is you're going to get velocity. Is that velocity always outside of, of Trinan and of Kenley Jensen? Is it always going to be you know absolute pinpoint control? Probably not. But you know, I do think this Braves team you know can when they guess right, they're going to be able to hit velocity they've done it before they've done it at different times this year but I think that that's what it's going to come down to I wish I had more to say but I just I don't feel in any way shape or form that if we go into late game situations do I feel anywhere near as competent in getting into a bullpen game and having to come back do I have any bit as much confidence in that situation as I do if we get down early but still have Morton, Anderson, or Freed throwing? I don't. And it's just – it's the simple fact that not only do you have the Dodgers bullpen that's been more effective all year, but they've got the added velocity at least to the point above what the Braves do. So watching – you know, scouting reports, watching tape, whatever it may be, getting a plan in place specifically – for each pitcher and learning their sequences and being able to guess right, guess what pitch they're going to go with. I think that's what you have to rely on. The Braves being the underdog, you're going to have to rely on a little bit of luck. And I know that that's not the deepest analysis that one may like, but I think that's what it's going to have to come down to because I do think that the Dodgers, one of the areas where they have the biggest upper hand is when it comes to late game situations with the velocity they can throw with their bullpen. The guessing right thing is an important thing, right? Because this is a Dodgers team that's certainly prioritized the four-seam fastball and you know throwing it at the top of the zone and getting a lot of movement on it. Um, and it's not just the you know we're not talking about just Jansen and and Trian. You know, Bruce Dark Gratterall is a guy who throws really really hard, and that they have certainly built a bullpen that knows how to throw hard. I think that a key for the Braves in this series comes down to Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley those two guys in particular and their ability to time up fastballs because when Austin Riley is dialed in and he's seeing fastballs, well, he does, it's not always the case. Sometimes he's, you know, a lot of the damage he does is on mistakes and he's been really good this year at punishing mistakes. I don't ever think that a fastball in like the upper part of the zone that's going 98 is really ever going to be much of a mistake against most hitters. But if those guys are really dialed in and are timing up fastballs well, I think that they can do something against this Dodgers bullpen. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, that there's been times where the Braves have had success on velocity. They had, they've had two guys, and again, this is in the same uh, Dave Adler article. Make sure you, it's, like, it's entitled The Team the Braves Want and the NLCS Is. Make sure you read it over on MLB.com. He mentions this too, is that the Braves had two guys in the top 10 with expected WOBA against pitches of 95 miles an hour or or more 
One of those guys is Freddie Freeman, which I'm not sure if I would have guessed, but it does make sense now that I kind of think about it. And I expect Freddie to be productive. I think that this is a, he, he's certainly gone against his Dodgers team enough. I think he's very motivated. Um, and he, I think he's hitting really well. It, big, big moment, obviously, in that, that Brewer series to put the, the Braves into this round to begin with. The other guy's Jorge Soler, who's not an option for the Braves this year. So I, I am a little bit concerned about these kind of these late game situations. But I think that, again, there's ways for the Braves to, to make this work. But I think that there have to be really timing up fastballs well. And that's a hard thing to just say, hey, you guys just need to sit on a 90, 98 mile an hour fastball. I don't think there's a possible, that's, that's not an easy thing to sit on. You know what I mean? Like, hey, this is coming in hot. It's going to be at a place where it's really hard to kind of really hit the ball hard. So just go do that, right? I, I, I think that that's one of the harder pitches to kind of, you know, plan on. You know, sitting on you can maybe if you think a guy's change up or a breaking ball is something that you can do damage on and you can just you know wait for that pitch to come that's one thing but sitting fastball when it's these high quality fastballs is can be very very difficult very very hard so i am again i am with you i am certainly concerned but if dansby and austin those two guys in particular are guys who are seeing fastballs well and are putting good swings on fastballs. I think that this series could get really interesting and we could have some heroics late in the game. If not, this one could be tough. It just could be tough. Um, so any other kind of, before we get into getting our predictions and our and the, what the projections are, are there any other thoughts you want to share before we kind of move on to that? Yeah, I just wanted to say that I, you know, I mentioned it kind of earlier. One thing that has stood out that I want to reiterate in these playoffs so far, Eric, is that it's been the bottom of these orders that have really stood out. Yes, of course, the top of the orders have done their production. But if you go back to it again, the Dodgers in the wild card game, Dodgers last night in game five. They won it because of how productive the bottom of the order are. The Braves, I mentioned it on the Daily Hammer on Thursday, the Braves, as their bottom of the order, got better each game, including game four, where it was the Braves' bottom of the order that created the comebacks both times when they went down two runs to set the stage for Freddie Freeman. That's what made the difference. What bottom of the order is going to allow for which lineup to be more complete? And I think that you certainly have to say the Dodgers with confidence but this Braves lineup, especially if a Duvall or a Peterson can get hot, like we've seen them do many times this year, they can take that, you know, they can take that advantage. I think that's going to be a big key for the Braves. The other thing that I wanted to point out was middle relief. You know, it was a heavy reliance on Tyler Matzik as well as um, uh, Luke Jackson to bridge from the starters to Will Smith, who, you know, is a story all in of himself that we don't have enough time really to get into, but what, who's another guy you can add to do that? Who's a guy that can turn that trio into a quartet? The answer to me is A.J. Minter. We saw him perform very well in game four. He absolutely sparkled in that uh, game five, I believe, start as the opener against the Dodgers. As you mentioned, there's been a bit of success for left-handed relievers against the Dodgers this year. A.J. Minter, when he's on, can be just as effective as Tyler Matzik. So using A.J. Minter, I think, is there. For me, pitching-wise for the Braves, the big X factor is A.J. Minter. Offensive-wise, it's Adam Duvall. And another guy who we have not mentioned, at least I don't think we have, that I think needs to have a big series, it's Ozzie Albies. Ozzie Albies in that third spot, being there as a productive option between Freeman and Austin Riley. He had a big hit or two against the Dodgers, but I do think that him getting a few big hits, he was the big reason the Braves got off 
to that 2-0 lead last year with home runs in game one and game two. An excellent series for him once again would be great. So which bottom of the order is better? Can the Braves rely on another reliever besides Jackson or Matzik to get to Smith, as well as Ozzie Albies performing at his level that we know he we all know he can? I think those are three big narratives to watch. Yeah, and Ozzie Albies' hot streak would certainly go really, really well right now. Uh, and you know we get to, you know we get to see right-handed Ozzie against Urias, and I think that you know him having a big game against Urias would be very, very helpful. Uh, one guy that we've kind of not talked about, and I think that he's the guy that if it's late in the game and I need a strikeout. Like it's second and third and one out. And I need to just get strike a guy out and, you know, to get out of an inning. I think right now for me, the answer is Luke Jackson. And it's going to be tough against the Dodgers because, you know, they have so many guys from both left and right side and particularly their left-handed hitters are so hard to, you know, victimize the way that Luke, you know, does things. If Luke Jackson is like in peak form and can kind of get the Braves out of some tough situations late in games, then the Braves have a real chance in the series. Cause I do think a lot of these games are going to be very close. I do think that. Um, and I think that, you know, it's hard at times to trust certain members of this Braves bullpen. I'm looking at you, Will Smith, as an example. Uh, if, if, if Will Smith's, you know, giving up multiple base runners and, you know, you know, late in games, this is going to be really, really hard. You know, getting clean and effective innings out of your bullpen, in particular, being able to have a guy like Luke, you know, in peak form, just give this team a lift by getting big strikeouts and big outs and big points in the game. You know, you know obviously like Tyler Matzik, AJ Minter, Luke, Luke Will, Will Smith, all those guys are important. But I think that Luke being peak Luke and being able to do his job against righties while also being effective against the lefties in that lineup when he's called upon. I think he needs to be the guy that puts out fires. I don't think he can be just the guy that goes and gets the right hitters. I think he has to, he's, I think he's more important to that in this particular series. Um, and the other points you made are good ones. You know, the bottom, what the bottom of the order does, that speaks to the Dodgers depth. The bottom of the order is going to have to at least match them. They're going to have to be productive. And we'll see if that happens. You know, this is, these are team, two teams that know each other very well. Uh, a lot of the key pieces have, would have been part of these series that the Braves have been playing against Dodgers over the last few years. And the those that those that weren't a part of those Dodgers teams were a part of a nationals team that gave the, the Braves fits at times too, you know, in Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. So they think this is a close matchup. Uh, I, I know that the records don't really show that. Uh, and I certainly would be feeling a lot better if Ronald Cunha Jr. Was healthy and, you know, Marcelo Zuna wasn't, in, you know, currently under indictment. Right. I think that they, this would be a, a more interesting series in a lot of respects, but, and, but this is, it's a fascinating series. And it's, you know, I think it's important to know too, the Braves are playing with house money. They weren't supposed to be here. They weren't, you know, when, when, when Ronald Acuna Jr. got hurt and they were below 500 already, most people, including myself, just thought that the playoffs were a pipe dream, but they played their brains out. Alex Anthopoulos went and got some really kind of key pieces. Again, we're not talking about crazy big stars or anything like that, but got productive players, didn't give up much for them and, the, all, nearly all those moves paid off for them and they have played themselves in a position where they can play for the world series. And there's an argument to be made that there's like a team of destiny type thing with this team is that, you know, they come out of nowhere, they barely squeak into the, you know, the playoffs, you know, having to play really well the last couple weeks of the season to make that happen to kind of exercise those demons against the Dodgers. You know, is that something that we can quantify? No, but, and 
I do think that this is a team that knows the Dodgers really well. They understand the history between, you know, between the clubs and that they really, really want to kind of put an end to this dominance that the Dodgers have had in the playoffs over them. So will that happen this year? I don't know. Uh, my, my current thought is I don't think so. That's a little bit of a spoiler to what my predictions are. But uh, I won't fault anyone for kind of thinking that maybe this is going to be the Braves' year just because of everything they've had to overcome to get to this point. So let's kind of, we're going to get into the kind of predictions and the projections side of things. Uh, right now, uh, for those who aren't aware, the Dodgers are heavily favored in this series. Uh, if you look at just all the projection markets, uh, it, you, you get anything from, you know, like three to one to four to one odds that the Dodgers are going to win. Uh, 538, a favorite of our friend Brad Rowland. He's, uh, they have the Dodgers at 74% chance to advance to the World Series. Fangraphs has the Dodgers 67.4% chance to advance to the World Series. And all the betting markets, uh, again, very heavily slanted towards the Dodgers winning this series. So, you know, this isn't, this isn't one of those coin flip series. It seems like the Braves are very clearly the underdogs and with good reason. We've talked, we've mentioned a lot of those over the course of the show is that this is a very, very, very good Dodgers team that has had to overcome a lot on their own just to be able to get to this point, And they've beaten some really good teams to get here. But Sean, here's the, the important part of the show where we go on record and then have the internet yell at us when we're wrong. Braves versus Dodgers, 2021 National League Championship Series. Who is your pick? How many games? What were the key parts of the series? And who's the series MVP? My heart <laughs> wants to say Braves in six, but my head, which I typically go with, says Dodgers in six. And a key moment for me, Eric, comes down to game one. The Braves must win game one, because if you don't win game one, then the home field advantage, which is the one other key thing that stands out is the difference in this series between previous times than we've seen the Dodgers. If you don't win game one, now you have the even amount of games at home for the Dodgers versus at home for the Braves, but the Dodgers get three straight at home while yours is split up. The Braves must get game one. I do think they have a very good chance of doing it, but my head is saying Dodgers in six and a couple of reasons why are late game production in general for the Braves when it comes to being able to get their offense going I think they're probably going to struggle at times and I also just think that if the power is not there for the Braves if they and especially with Jorge Soler not being an option if the Braves go through like three of the first four games, or if we get into the fifth game and the Braves have only had one game where they have multiple home runs. If these are games in which the, the Braves are not hitting two or more home runs each game, you know, we saw Joe Shiambi's or John Shiambi's thing about just how, you know, more favored you are if you lead the game in home runs in the playoffs. If the Braves are not being able to hit the ball at the ballpark and it comes down to them creating their scoring chances, I just don't think they're going to be able to play with the Dodgers. So, to me, what likely is going to stand out is late game execution, unless it's at leap for Atlanta. I don't like their chances. And if the power is not there, if the Braves are going to have to more times to not rely on creating and converting scoring chances, I just feel the Dodgers are better at that. The Braves' lack of execution late in games and creating and converting scoring opportunities, I think, stands out as to what might do them in this series. So before I kind of get into my thoughts here, I wanted to make sure that uh, Scott and Brad got put on record as well. Uh, I didn't want them to kind of 
one be left out and two uh, be off, be off the hook for you know having something on record for picks. Uh, oddly enough, our own Brad Roland said he had no idea uh, in terms of what his picks were. I think that he's kind of in the same place you are, is kind of what his head's telling him, what his heart's telling him, because there's certainly a little bit of you know kind of team of destiny, like everything about what's been going into like the playoffs this year is that the Braves shouldn't be there that they were going to be outclassed by all the teams in the playoffs and the Braves pretty convincingly beat the Brewers. Uh, but this is a Dodgers team. That's just really, really scary. So, you know, make sure that uh, make sure to our listeners, you go to at BT Roland on Twitter and make fun of Brad for not actually being willing to put down his picks on the paper. Uh, imagine that you could probably goad him into tweeting out something and actually being put on record for it. But Scott did go on record uh, as saying a pick and, I've known Scott for years now. So he picked the Braves in seven, and his reasoning was simple. This is a team of destiny. There's been times where we thought, you know, and, this, and for Scott, this is a bizarre pick to make because I, I'm not sure if he's, Scott has picked the Braves to win a playoff series except over the Marlins, right? Uh, I think that it's a situation where everything has gone wrong and that they've still found a way to win these games. He has the Braves pick winning in seven. He has Freddie Freeman winning the series MVP uh, if that happens, which, frankly, if the Braves do win this series, that, that's a very likely outcome for that award. But I was really kind of surprised to see that out of Scott as kind of, you know, kind of buying into and believing that this is a team that could, you know, kind of overcome what are very lofty odds. Uh, now, for me, I'm more the resident optimist on the staff. Uh, I pick the Braves more often than not, uh, and I'll defend those picks to be sure, but I'm also a bit more optimistic about the Braves' chances, I think, than everyone else. And my heart wants so bad to pick the Braves. Like, this is the year where they get over that hump, get to the World Series, beat the team that denied them last year in a brutally hard and difficult seven-game series last year, that this is the year that despite all the odds, despite all the injuries – that they get it done and they finally get back to the world series. I'm, I'm with you there. I just can't get past the fact of just how good this Dodgers team is. And that's ultimately what I settle on. Uh, I picked the Dodgers in six. Uh, you'll, I've made that pick elsewhere and I continue to stand by that. I think that the Braves will be in all of these games. Uh, there might be one blowout in there, but I think it's gonna be close games. I think that this Braves team is much better than a lot of the national uh, pundits are giving them credit for, but ultimately this Dodgers team, it's the, it's not a problem with the Braves necessarily and more to do with just how much I think of this Dodgers team. And I just don't think that if they're, even if they have like half of their lineup is like not hitting at all, that it's just going to be too much to keep up with on a night by night basis. You know, we've saw what Corey Seager did to the Braves And even if the Braves like pitch around him or he's not the guy, Will Smith's the guy that can beat them. Trey Turner, we've seen the Braves single-handedly beat the, beat the Braves. I think it's just too much. And that there's no shame in that. I I think at the end of the day, the Braves are playing with house money and they're going to go all out. And I think that, I don't think that they're, they're dead in this series by any stretch of the imagination. Any team can be any other team on any given day, even if the odds are against them. If the Braves go to the World Series, I'll be as thrilled as anyone. And there's going to be fantastic stories to tell if that happens because that's going to, I think, going to be require some really unlikely things to happen 
But if I'm thinking with my head and I'm just looking at it objectively, the Dodgers are the better team. They've proven that all year long. And while I like some parts of the Braves matchup against them, I don't like enough of them to pick the Braves in the series. So Dodgers in six for me. And I do think that if they do do that, I think it's going to be Trey Turner, who again, just has really given the Braves fits over the course of his career. It's, he's going to end up being the guy that ends up being the MVP is kind of the least surprising part of it. It's just the guy that's always beat up on the Braves is the guy that's going to be the problem. So, Eric, if, if I may add in here, I forgot my MVP. I'm going to go actually with Mookie Betts on my end. If the Dodgers were to win, it was in the field. This year, I think it may be more at the play. Didn't mean to squeeze in there, but I didn't say my MVP. If the Dodgers do win, I think it's going to be due to defense and offense. Mookie Betts is the difference maker. Well, absolutely. He certainly proved that he maybe wasn't as big of a part offensively in that series, but the catches that he made on defense against the Braves in that series changed the complexity of that entire series. Uh, that was that actually could have been a pretty a pretty straightforward and quick Braves win if not for Mookie's efforts out in the field. So it's a good pick, especially considering you know when Mookie's healthy. I mean, he's one of the best players in baseball. So I think that's a really uh, that's a very possible pick as well. There's you know seven or eight guys on this Dodgers roster that I think are very likely you know, contenders for that award in, in, in a lot of respects. Well, guys, that's pretty much all we have for this episode. Uh, again, it's about three o'clock on Friday. So far, as long as I'm aware, we don't have any news as to kind of who's going to be starting for game two or game three for the, the Braves. We don't have playoff rosters yet. So, you know, kind of take some of this with bits of grains of salt. If obviously if things change, Sean over there at the Daily Hammer, as well as, you know, Brad and Scott, as we kind of get into the series, getting started tomorrow. They'll be able to kind of preview and kind of talk a little bit about those news types of items and kind of give our thoughts there. Thank you all so much for listening to the podcast, not only this year, but in past years, the support you guys give each and every week, each and every day now, that now that we're posting significantly more on the feed has been just amazing. We really appreciate all the support. If you do want to make sure you don't want to miss a single episode of this, of this podcast, all you have to do is subscribe to the Talking Chop podcast feed and we're on most if not all of the podcast platforms itunes google play stitcher soundcloud spotify if you need if you if you want us we're on there just search that not only we get this podcast which is the flagship program hosted most of the time by the great brad roland sometimes by by lesser folks lesser hosts such as myself uh, you also get the daily hammer hosted by sean coleman my guest here today where he kind of gives the daily updates it's kind of what's going on with the braves a, a slightly shorter format show but one's been a great addition to our our podcasting and you also get the road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects hosted by yours truly, as well as Garrett Spain, Grav Vidak, Matt Powers, Wayne Cavati. We all kind of chip in on that one to kind of give up-to-date information on the minor leagues. Obviously the minor league season's over and with the playoffs going on right now, not doing quite as much with the road to Atlanta while we're kind of getting into playoff mode here, but you also get that podcast as well. So three podcasts for the low, low price of $0. Thank you all so much. Make sure you tell your friends about the podcast. Make sure you leave five-star reviews. It helps us grow the podcast. And we now end this podcast on Friday. The next time you hear from us, the Braves will have played a game of playoff baseball. Brad and Scott will be taking the, taking the reins for that one. Until next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, the future of work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.